Welcome to Lydia Finette's Claim Your Confidence, a podcast that will introduce you to the most powerful women in the world as they talk about their own confidence journey. No matter what obstacles you face, Claim Your Confidence will inspire you, motivate you, and give you a roadmap to live the life you want. So, are you ready to claim your confidence? Hi, everyone. I'm Lydia Finette. Thank you so much for tuning in to Claim Your Confidence. As my mother just asked in the intro, are you guys ready to claim your confidence? Because I have a woman across from me named Alexa Von Tobel, who is going to tell you everything you need to know about claiming your confidence. Welcome to the podcast, Alexa. I'm just like smiling because your mom did the intro. That just made my day. That is so fabulous. That is awesome. It's a great way to start off every single time. So I want to talk about you. For those of you who've never had a chance to meet Alexa, I think the word that comes to mind is powerhouse. She is a ball of energy. Every time you see her, she radiates sunshine. (laughs) She moves at such an alarmingly fast pace that your mind can barely keep up with her. And in addition to just being an incredible woman, she's also so accomplished. She is the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital and the New York Times bestselling author of Financially Fearless and Financially Forward, so two books. Prior to Inspired Capital, Alexa founded LearnVest in 2008 with the goal of helping people make progress on their money, which she later sold to Northwestern Mutual in one of the biggest fintech acquisitions of the decade. So there we go. In addition to that, she's a mom of three. But I want to know from you, Alexa, what were you like as a child? Because <laughs> I would just love to give your mother a huge <laughs> hug for raising such an incredible woman. Um. Oh my goodness. So... You know what's so funny? I had a few friends. I went back to my high school reunion and people that have known me for 25 years, 30 years, literally were like, nothing has changed about you, (laughs) which I think maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. You know, when I was younger and my mom and I were talking, I have three little kids and I was catching up with my mom the other day. And I was like, mom, what did you think when I was a child? Like, what what were the thoughts that went through your head? And she actually said to me, she was like, Alexa, I I literally have never worried about you. Um, (laughs) I can see that as a mom feeling like you. So again, I don't know quite what that means. As a child, I was just very, very upbeat, very positive, um, up for any and everything. I attribute a lot of who I am. I have two older brothers and they, one's four years older, one's eight years older. And one, I just like, wanted to have people to hang out with. So like, I just had to keep up with them. Um, And they are also forces of nature and balls of energy. And so I just remember one, in order to like even exist and get to have friends, like I had to like literally like run as fast as they were because they were like running up the hill to go play with all their friends. And I didn't want to be left behind. And then on the flip side, I think I've always been an entrepreneur. And I, I like truly had this moment when I was in college where I finally said, oh, I learned what an entrepreneur was. And I was like, that's what I am. Like, it was almost this, like, eye-opening moment where, since I can remember, love building businesses, was creating little organizations. I was like, I wanted more leotards because I was a gymnast. And so I had a little (laughs) piggy bank and I made a little company and I was trying to save money so that I could, because my mom was like, you have enough leotards, I'm not buying more. And I was like, I will go figure out how to get more. There's a company in here. I see this. And instead of having a lemonade stand, I like literally took things off the wall in my house and sold it. <laughs> oh, like, and my mom one day was like, you did what? You're not like, allowed to do this? I also decorated my treehouse with art from our house. Oh. Truly. My what mom a was, child. What a child. So again, maybe my mom did worry about me at times. <laughs> but I think 
that just that entrepreneurial spirit was really there. And I started a little tutoring company when I was in high school. And then at Harvard, I started a magazine and I was constantly building things. And then I, and I realized how much I love building things. But when you were a child, did you have anyone in your life who built that confidence? Do you, is there anyone you can look back on and say that person was instrumental? Because I'm sure you get this question a lot too. How do you raise confident children? What, what can you take from your own childhood that you might think back to as something that was a spark for you? Yeah. So I, again, another thing I, I've thought a lot about more now that I have three little kids with my husband, Cliff. So my parents were developmental specialists. This is probably something that one day I was like, oh. Helpful. Thanks, Very helpful. mom and dad. My dad was a developmental pediatrician specializing in all sorts of very important children, ADD, ADHD, autism. Um, And then on top of that, kids were deaf and blind and had disabilities. So truly, really, really unique children that needed a ton of important help and was really sort of a leading expert in that field. And my mom is also a pediatric nurse practitioner who wrote many, many, many bodies of work on um, development in children. So one, I should say thank you to them. <laughs> yeah, thanks, um, mom and dad I for think they, choosing the right career path. I mean, I think a lot of their specialty was how to think about raising us. That said, I go back and I remember points in my life when I was little where my parents did things like I was learning to read. And I remember my dad challenging me to say, I think you can read this really big kid book. And if you do, like, you know, you get hot cocoa or whatever it was. Just these challenges that were just hard enough, but reachable. Yeah. And like knowing the meter of the line so that I would develop those reps of being really comfortable to keep stretching. And I think one of the things that taught me was to trust my work ethic. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole growth mindset. And of we're all parents. It's all we think about. But, yes. but I think they, they were very, very proactively doing that my whole life yeah. of giving me things that were just hard enough that I had to stretch and get uncomfortable but within my reach where I could kind of have a rep of success. And then on the flip side, you probably gained confidence each time you realized you could push through something harder, right? Yeah, is yeah. that what confidence is about? Totally. And then huge credit to my older brothers, my middle brother, Brandon. I can't remember what grade I was in, maybe fourth grade, maybe fifth grade. Um, he literally said, I think you're bright, Alexa. Let's read A Mice and Men. <laughs> what a great brother. <laughs> and like, I think I was from fourth grade. So I read it and I was like, we sat down and he was like, tell me, what do you think the moral of this story? And I just remember being like, I can read big kid books now. Yeah. And so yeah. I just started reading big kid books. And it was, I mean, so so not just my parents, but very much my siblings. Uh, <laughs> if you met my eldest brother, Travis Von Tobel, anybody <laughs> that knows him, they used to call my brother's Double Von Trouble. Oh, um, there we go. That's a reputation but, um, to precede you. But no, and, and they were always very, very, very good in school and never gotten too much actual trouble. But my eldest brother is a really talented athlete, uh, really talented athlete. He would make me run in sweat bags. I, you know, I was training for gymnastics or for something. And so also this confidence that like, I'm with the big kids. I can yeah. do it with the, you know, yeah. eight years older than me and hang with him. And I look back on that, they probably were so bored by me and I was so little. Oh, I'm sure they were so amused like, by you, Alexa. But they they brought me with them. Yeah. And I think that when I look back, that big sibling dynamic for them letting me come with them, I owe so much of my confidence to that. Yeah. Um, and them just really caring about my development. And again, they were just fabulous big brothers. Well, it's funny because we both have three children and I think Rosie, your little one, and Eloise, my third one, we both sort of laugh about these girls who, I mean, the world, watch out. 
it's going to be a little scary, I think, to watch these two young women who have two older siblings who are pushing them and also truly working moms who are out there doing it and watching these examples of strong, powerful women with a lot of confidence. Totally. I, I look forward to seeing what happens to them both over the years. Yes, my Rosie, my little Rosie. <laughs> Watch out world, here Watch she comes. Rosie. Rosie Ryan is coming for you. And now she's just this, oh wow. It's amazing to see a third child. I'm a third child. Yeah. I'm a baby. And just the amount that you absorb from how fabulous your siblings are is just such a gift. Yeah, and I think that goes back to good parenting too and raising siblings who are close and who push one another. Obviously, siblings squabble, but it's a relationship dynamic that lasts your entire life. So you have these incredible siblings and these incredible parents. Was there anything in your childhood that you can remember that was sort of the opposite of that, that could have put a chink in your confidence that you had to get through and then prepared you for life? Yeah, so, and I've talked about this before, but when I was 14, we lost my dad very suddenly. And it was one of these things where, as a child growing up, you're like, the worst thing that can happen to you is to lose a parent. And you just know that. I mean, my own children know that. And then when it happens to you, um, I think this really powerful thing happened where I started my life, right? I was I was still uh, barely, you know, I was a child in so many ways, but it kind of gave me this really odd gift. Um, and maybe this is also just gives you a sense of my mindset, which is like, I'm very much wired to like find the positive. Yeah. But the gift was just that life is really, really short. And you get to live once, and you're not living for anybody else. Um, in fact, you're absolutely not living for anybody else. Yes. Um, this isn't the dress rehearsal. No. And I think I just learned this very important thing, this fragility of life, but in a way that is like truly burned into my soul and my family's soul where you get to live once, so go for it. Yeah. Um, and I think that that for me is, is like, and trust me, it was a very hard thing on my family, was such a long, long-term thing that gave me a, a sixth gear where I can actually ignore all of the noise around me. And, um, you know, fast forward, I, when I was 24, I was dropping out of Harvard Business School and very unpopular decision, by the way. The yeah. Everybody was cheering for it you on that one, I'm two, sure. It was 2008. Lehman Brothers had gone under and I really wanted, I had this huge mission to go empower America's wallet because I watched my mom firsthand have to manage three little kids. She was a working parent, had a very career, big career she was dedicated to. She had to figure out how to make it all work financially. Yeah. And I remember in that moment being like, I'm going to go build this company. Like I literally was like, in my future, I'm going to be good at my finances because I just never want to have to have anything that worries me. So I was trying to build that company and there, fall of 2008, Lehman Brothers goes under. Everyone is in free fall around their wallet. Really, really panic was ensuing. And I said, I got to go build that company. Yeah. I got to go build it and I got to go build it now. And I'd already been working on Learn Best for a year, but I dropped out and sort of back to that, like confidence probably isn't the right word, but it really is an independence, a comfort with, I only know how to be me and I can't be anybody else. And it comes from this very real deep place of, I'm not living for anyone around me. I'm, I've got to go follow my own path. And even in very scary times, I got to go do it. I truly believe that confidence is something that once you find it in yourself, it doesn't matter what happens around you because you know that you're strong enough to handle it. And, you know, 
I personally have gone through something in the past year, as you know, an accident with yeah. my husband and three children, and Just which wild. is wild, but it, I know what you mean by that sixth gear because I found that this year I feel, and I would be curious if you felt this way too, but for me, I think my life was before the accident and after the accident. Yeah. And I've realized, as you realized at a very early age, that life doesn't go on forever. And so we have to do what we want to do and we have to live knowing that we have to be confident in ourselves because otherwise, what a waste what of a our waste. lives. Yeah. What a waste of our lives. Yeah, I also just have this gear where things can get really, really, really hard. Yeah. Really, really hard. And being an entrepreneur, the one thing, you know, I, I now run a venture firm uh, called Inspired Capital with a, an amazing set of other partners, Penny Pritzker, Mark Batsy, and Lucy DeLand, um, all fabulous entrepreneurs in their own right. Penny Pritzker is U.S. Secretary of Commerce. And one of the things that we tell all of our founders and we back early stage companies, we help them build. And that is tr truly my life obsession, as you've just heard. Yeah. We tell every founder, I can promise you're going to have the most brutal days of your life ahead right. of you. And when you're running a company, there are just moments where you actually don't think you can move forward because the thing that just happened is so bad that you can't breathe. But for me, I look at everybody, I'm like, are you alive? Right. Is the roof over your head? Are your children healthy? Can you breathe? C can you literally find food? Yeah. It's not that bad. Yeah. And... It's just this extra gear that turns on. And actually, I sold my company, Learn Best, as you mentioned. Sold it literally nine months pregnant. Sold it on a Wednesday and went to labor that weekend. I remember that picture that you posted on Instagram. <laughs> and I would I would encourage everyone to scroll back to your picture. You are hugely pregnant nine, on the literally. phone. I think there was a thumbs up to Cliff on the side, <laughs> like, if I remember like correctly. Just said yes. Yes, but you've created this world and this air of confidence that... Toby, your first who comes out, sees you. And I've heard you speaking with Toby when you do your Galentine's Day at your apartment with all the incredible founders who are women who are in that room, talking to her about their businesses and what they've done. But I want to go back even further because I know you and I want every one of our listeners to even understand this journey. So you leave Florida where you have grown up yep. and you go to Harvard. Tell me about your college experience, because I'm curious if you were one of those people who wanted to get out of college because you already were ready to start the world. <laughs> you yeah. wanted to light the world on fire, and this was an impediment. Um, well, so funny. So actually, my freshman year was like a massive adjustment in the rearview mirror. At the time, I kind of knew I was massively adjusting, but... So first of all, I was on the diving team uh, where I <laughs> dove springboard okay. and platform. Um, but I'm from Florida, so I've spent my whole life in basically 75 degree right, weather. Of like, course. It's cold when it's 55 and we wear mittens and sweaters. And I look back and I'm like, what on earth is happening in Florida? This is my Louisiana upbringing too. And I fully relate. So when I got to college, first of all, it just got darker much, much faster. It got, it was freezing, freezing. and I hadn't really spent minimal days in the cold. And I just, that was a big adjustment that how dark it got was a big adjustment. Obviously, I I've always been, yeah, the, the, the weather. Um, and so I just remember calling my mom and being like, mom, like, it's really cold. <laughs> I need more sweaters and coats, and please. And she's like, sweetheart, you've got plenty of sweaters. Like you, and I, and I was like, and I have to go to diving practice at like 6 a.m. And I don't even, I'm getting up and it's pitch black. And like, you know, when I wake up at 6 a.m. in Florida, it was at least like you could see the sun coming. Right. And so it was just a big adjustment for me. Also, diving platform um, was something that I only learned to do as a senior in high school. Oh, so um, you just learned it before you got there? Literally just that year. I'd been a, um, a gymnast when I was younger. And so I was also like kind of new to the sport and I was diving. And anyways, so freshman year was a big adjustment. By my sophomore year, I truly was like, couldn't have been happier. But you're right that by my senior year, I was ready to leave. Yeah. Um, in fact, I wanted to drop out and start a company. And my mom 
just was like, sweetheart. Just get the degree. She's like, just <laughs> check let, the box. She's like, let's just close this loop. And I, I literally begged her. I was like, can I please, please, please? I want to go build a business. Um, Mark Zuckerberg was my classmate. So literally watching Facebook be born in front of your eyes just like gave you a real sense of what's possible. Right. And literally, I really, I'm, I mean it when I say like, my favorite thing in the world to do is to build businesses. And if I'm not building businesses, I'm literally building Legos, building projects, building recipes. I like to build. And I just realized like for me, it is so therapeutic to build and start and see through the end and in all durations, 10-year you know, point of view to build a company. You know, my son, my little boy and I do Legos every weekend for nine hours, by the way. Send help. Send, send help. Send, 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 help. Send, send help. Cliff is, is yelling um, out of the window. Please, someone stop like, the Lego stop madness. Stop the Lego madness. <laughs> but I love to build. And so... No, my, my mom got me to graduate. And then LearnVest. And when did this idea come? Was this something I that happened at Harvard? I and I literally founded the company May of 2007. My husband, at the time boyfriend's dad, was the lawyer. My mom was the president. <laughs> we put it together. And by the time I got to HBS in the fall of 2008 and Lehman Brothers went under, I, I said, I have to go do this. Um, and I have a motto, which is when the world zigs, zag. Yes. When the entire world runs for cover, that is the time that you have to go be bold. You actually said this to me once in passing. I can't even remember. I feel like there's so many nuggets of Alexa wisdom that I've gleaned walking down the street in New York City and running into you for less than a minute. And you tell me, but you said something, I think that this was probably five or six years ago, along the lines of, it's when everything else crashes that you look around and think the biggest businesses of the next decade are being built right, right now. now. Yeah. And by the way, they're probably already six months in. That's right. I actually was telling our founders this. So we are really fortunate. We have about 40 founders uh, so far in our inspired portfolio. And we backed, you know, big, wild ideas. You know, we backed a self-driving lawnmower. You know, we <laughs> backed the next Web3 communication layer. We backed really interesting fintech companies. But um, what I said to the founders is it is in these moments when the going gets tough that you actually build, first of all, the, the, the crazy founders come out, the ones that are really doing it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. You're not doing it for fame. You're not doing it for money. You're so committed. And, and LearnVest was truly my life's work in a way where I almost mourned once we sold it. Um, and that's a whole other story. And I absolutely made the right decision there. Um, North Rush Mutual is an incredible company. Um, but I was doing it for the mission. And so those founders come out now and they have no money because the world has hid the money. Yes. So they have to be really, really, really resourceful, very creative. And the people that come work with them care about the mission. Yeah. And in the last 10 years, money was everywhere. Becoming a founder became very popular. It was glamorized. You know, one day they put me on the cover of Forbes, Forbes and I, I was like, it. I how? Why? Like, I'm just a kid building a fintech company. The key of this is that you build resilient cultures. And I think in the same way, you know, this podcast, you want to build resilient kids. You right. want to build kids that can fall down and get back up. And they know how to do that. And I think, you know, so many times in my life, everyone's always like, name a failure. I'm like, I truly, I mean this. I don't know that I'm actually special at anything. I think I really just trust my judgment to work very, very, very hard. And that my parents built that muscle in me. When you were out of Harvard, Harvard Business School, you leave to start LearnVest. What were those conversations like? And speaking of confidence, which we've talked about, you have in spades, it still must have taken a lot to be walking in and asking for money. And I mean, where did you find the confidence to find the engineers to build the back end of LearnVest? This was just all something that you were doing real time or this was guidance from others. 
what did those asks look like? How many, and I'm saying this for anyone who's listening, who is embarking on this dream or wants to be a founder or looks at you and just thinks, my God, I could never do that. This woman has everything. Talk to us about the back end of that. How many no's are coming out of those conversations? How how does that feel when yeah. you hear the word no, when you yeah. know and you truly believe that you have a dream that is going to change people's lives and you have the back history of your own family leading up to that dream? So it's personal too. Yeah, no, it's super personal. In fact, there's this joke I have with my mom because my mom uh, really was just like, had the most incredible work ethic. By the way, she's 70, almost five, and she works still every day I as a it. nurse. I mean, for my brother, my my eldest brother is also an entrepreneur and runs a company. My mom uh, and stepdad work with him. My whole life, my mom was like, find something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And she really meant it. And yeah. she really did. She loves taking care of kids and it just really a passion for her. And I, in the last few years, was like, mom, you got it completely wrong find what you love and you will work every day of your life with no boundaries. You will take things (laughs) extremely personally and you will care way too much, but it's the only way to be. Um, And so that is very much something I'm instilling in my own children. And I truly do love work. So you asked the question of like, what did that first, I dropped out of HBS December 18th of 2008, moved to New York. I cried the entire flight, (laughs) literally cried. The guy next to me thought probably somebody dumped me. I sat there and was like, oh my God, I flipped the table over on my life. And I was very, very strict. I had my own savings, but Mm -hmm. I was not taking money from anybody else, anyone in my family. I said, I've got to do this on my own. I've got to be all in. I was like, I need your emotional support. I need you to catch me. I got to do this myself. In retrospect, I probably should have like let my husband's family invest, like or like my siblings, like it would have that. But but it all turned out okay. But my husband, the night of our wedding, gave a speech and his speech, which first of all was like the most beautiful speech I've ever heard in my life. Such a good Literally human. the best human yeah. um, and best decision I've ever made. He talked about those literally six to nine months where, by the way, I, I, I couldn't emotionally take anything else on. So I like didn't even get an apartment. Like I just sat on his couch <laughs> with my laptop and just worked. And he would walk in day after day. And I would just be sitting there working, but with tears coming down my cheeks. <laughs> I've been there. Because like... And again, like, I wish he was doing this, but in his speech, he was like, it was no after no. But then she met one person who was like, you're crazy, and I believe in you, and said yes. And then another, and then another. And he was like, and in that six to nine months, he was like, I saw what my wife um, was made of. And he was like, and she literally was unwilling to not make this happen. And he was like, and it was so inspiring it was scary as all you can possibly. And he was like, and then, you know, now, every you know, this is before I sold the business. He's like, everyone, you know, in this room now, cover Forbes, all these things. He's like, but I really saw the grit that went into the those early days. And I just wasn't going to not let it happen. And, and again, I was doing it. I was building it for the right reason. And then you start picking up momentum yeah. and raising $30 million became much easier than raising 750000 Yeah, because people were like, this is working and there's something here and this is important. And so. And I think too, what you realize about rejection and that failure is that first failure, that first no is always the worst. And then you sort of get used to it. And then I think in a way with resilience, you start to push back against it. Like you think no, but you are wrong now. This is no 20, but 21, when you get it, you're going to understand there's genius behind this idea. 
and that's when we're going to go forward. That's what resilience is. You're, you're building a muscle like anything else. It's just pushing you down time and time again. I always talk about this being on stage as an auctioneer. Someone always says no, right? I've had the greatest example of no in my life because there's always an underbidder. There's always someone who stops. But it's how you handle the relationship with that person and move forward to the bidder and keep moving that you feel like in life, well, if, if you can say no and I can be okay with that, and then there's someone who's going to say yes, we move forward and I never look back. That's a fabulous analogy, actually. Um, I think that that is probably the greatest gift we can give to everyone listening to this podcast, which is at one point, um, I call it L-I-T-T-P, lean into the pain. Oh, yes. Lean when, into the pain. When, when, when somebody says no or gives you feedback— to understand why somebody is saying no or in and, and, and it hurts and listen I'm a human like the one thing I will say is like I'm also very cuddly and very soft and like <laughs> I'm I cry I cry for good things I cry for bad I cry a lot I cry at every rom-com my husband's like why are you sobbing and me I'm too like, there was a moment where I was like it is such a gift when someone is telling you why they're saying no and and really having the confidence and the levity and the ability to to, to say, I'm going to come back and get you one day and I'm going to get you to say yes. Yeah. And actually, in Inspired, one of my favorite investors in the world was absolutely going to say no. And he called to begin to tell me no. And I not only reacted, I was like, I'm so grateful. I'd love to hear what, what's on your mind. Let's just, I really sincere. And I wasn't trying to convince him at all to change his mind. And by the end of it, he's like, actually, <laughs> I, I literally can't bet against you. I love that. What a story. And Gosh. he was like, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in for, I think it was $5 million. And yeah, I was like, that's a great story. And I, and I, and I sincerely was like, I'm not trying to change your mind. Why don't you take a beat and think about it? And he's like, nope, yeah. I just heard everything I need to hear. But isn't that really what it's about with the founder? Because you are really investing in the person, right? It's you have to see something that nobody else sees and you have to drive that vision. So if you call and the answer is like, oh no, and then you're defeated and you walk away, you've invested in a founder who's going to walk away from the table as opposed to the person who's going to look at it and be like, I can change, I can take that feedback, I can grow from it, didn't feel great, but I'm going to keep moving forward. Yeah. That's who you want to invest in. Yeah, actually, there's this other quote that I really love, which is adversity doesn't build character, it reveals it. Such a good one, yeah. It, it's not building your character. It's revealing your character. And yeah. so in those moments when somebody says, hey, Alexa, I don't like how you handled that meeting or hey, I'm like, first of all, thanks for telling me that. Yeah. Because God forbid, what if somebody didn't tell me that? Yes. And you begin to realize people who actually tell you tough stuff are genuinely there to give you a gift. Yeah. And L-I-T-T-P, lean into the pain, lean, lean into, into it. into the pain. And you begin to actually develop one that's just far better self-awareness and also you can really build a huge following from the people that say no and learn more than you possibly could from them. And and, and finally, I want to say one like balance to that. Just because somebody is telling you something doesn't mean you have to trust it. So the other kind of core tenet of my life has been, I do believe that there's a bit of a meritocracy in life, which is if you work harder than anybody else around you on any topic and you put in the 10,000 hours, because it takes at least 10,000 hours minimum, you're going to be the most informed mm -hmm. and that information is your power. And so even in moments where I was listening to people, I would respectfully disagree with them mm -hmm. and say, I'm so grateful for your input and your position. Here's why I don't know that that's right. And sometimes I would convince people that were 
also experts to say, you know what, maybe you're onto something, Alexa. And so I also do really trust, trust not just your instincts, but you got to trust your work. You got to yeah. do the work. You so got to do the work. There's no Absolutely. shortcuts in life. No, there's not. You can't do all the things we're talking about and like work for two hours a day. That's just, that. if there's a place that you can go and do that, Lydia and I were signing up. <laughs> <laughs> Please take me there. I say that about auctioneering all the time. I get a lot of the, you're such a natural on stage. I'm a natural because I've been doing this for 20 years. And for many years, I took a hundred auctions a year. So how many hours of practice? Like you've never seen failures like the failures I've had on stage. I mean, I've had people pretty much, they've, they haven't booed, but they've all turned their chairs around and just eaten dinner and not paid a single moment of attention to anything oh, I'm doing. And by the way, that happened last week. But I've been through it so many times that I know that it's okay. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes I can't get an audience to pay attention. But at the same time, I can't just drop the microphone and walk off stage. I have to just power, through it. power through it. But God, did I want to drop the microphone in my 20s when I didn't have that confidence that I'd built up over the 10,000 hours which we talk about. The other thing I always hear about, and this didn't really exist when I first started working in over two decades, it was sort of a steady drumbeat that started somewhere in my sort of eight to 10 years of working. And now it's a roar is the phrase imposter syndrome. And having a seat at the table and sitting at that seat or walking into a room and not feeling like you're supposed to be there. And you were a young woman when you sold LearnVest. You become the chief digital officer at Northwestern Mutual, which by the way, was a job that was created for you. Did you ever feel imposter syndrome? I certainly felt it in my career. Did you ever feel that at times where you would sit there and be like, wow, I am really out of my league. I guess I'm just gonna fake it and pretend that I know things. Or did you always feel like you showed up knowing that you were the person who had the answers to that? I have not felt imposter syndrome in the last 15 years. And yeah. listen, there's been days where I'm like, oh, there's going to be a doozy. But I really have always relied on doing the work and yeah. being in a room. And there's been times where I'll say, listen, I'm out of my depth. Like, I don't know the answer to this question. I don't I don't know the, the path forward. I'm very comfortable saying that. Um, yeah. and, and that takes that takes a lot of confidence too. And I say that all the time. Yeah. And in fact, I think that's one of the big things I learned um, in my early 20s, 23, 24, 25, when I was building a company with people on my management team that were 10 years older than me at that point. I would say, I know where we need to go. I don't know exactly how to get there. So yeah. what I need help on is how do we figure this, you know, and I would begin to realize that I think it's really okay to say, I don't know the answer. I don't have that answer I right now. I don't have that answer. And actually, I learned from one of uh, a fabulous woman on my management team. Um, we called it green light thinking, where I'd be like, this is some green light thinking. Here's what's in my head. Help me get to the right answer. Yeah. Um, and to really make that kind of mental collaboration. And I realized I do my best work with other people in the trenches with me and in, in, in collaborating. So in short, number one, I haven't felt the imposter syndrome because I don't show up in rooms where I haven't done the work. Yeah. That's a really important ingredient to, yeah. to overcoming that feeling. And then second, in those rooms, I don't pretend that I have all the answers. Yeah. When I feel like I know the answer, I'll be very clear about it. But when I feel like I don't know the answer, I'll literally say, I'm not quite sure what we should do. Who, who else can we call? Who else can we get in the boat with us yeah. to help think this through? That's a little bit of how I've overcome any of those feelings. And so take us through the next step of your career, because there's almost no plateau in your career. You are at Northwestern Mutual. How does the idea for Inspired Capital come? I love the name Inspired Capital to me is basically just Alexa is a different name. But <laughs> you're now in what child? Are we having Cashel at this point? Oh, are we God. Rosie? Ours. It's a bit of a blur, I know. The, I mean, the, the children is... close together thing is, is sound, yeah. it sounds tidy, but let's be honest, it's not tidy. Yeah, no, it's crazy. So, um, 
one, back to my husband. I was starting to think about what I wanted to do next and had a bunch of people calling me to say, come do this, come do this, come be the CEO of this company, come be GP at this firm, come do all these things. And we're just, you know, it's sort of scary to think about like what's next. And I actually tell people in transition, so anybody out there in transition in your career, it's okay to feel scared. It it is scary. You're like, I just did this great thing and now I got to think about my next thing. And this goes back to kind of that deep core muscle that I have where I was like, this is not about anybody else's life. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. That is going to be the only way to fail. Yeah, yeah. And I went back to like reaching really deep and said to myself, what do I love to do? Like sincerely. And my husband actually, um, very quietly, we were running a little angel fund and we had backed some really great companies, the likes of... Um, some really cool ones, the Lemonades of the World, Airtable. Uh, we'd put some money into Uber. We had done, we just invested in things that we thought were really great big ideas. This amazing battery company called Form Energy, which has now raised almost a billion dollars, batteries to change the world. Um, and just backing people that we thought were exceptional or doing really big, wild things. And nights and weekends, I was talking to founders all day and like literally loved it. Like yeah. it was, there was not a stitch of that that was work for me. And my husband was like, I think I know what you're doing next. (laughs) And he said it. And the craziest thing is it literally was the next second. I was like, it it just, I know how my brain works. It clicked. And then a week later, oh no, I told my mom the next day, deeply in my head, I always wanted to come back to New York City. I mean, I've been in New York the whole time. I was like, where is the incredible venture fund here in New York City that knows how to build businesses, that meets founders where they are. And I was dropping out of HBS and there was no capital in New York. And I'm like, it's New York City. Yeah. It's the capital of the planet. Yeah. This is like the most incredible, diverse, every industry is here. Where is the incredible fund that is going to help people swing wildly big? And in my head, a decade prior, I was like, one day I will come back to that. And in my head, I was also, uh, so you asked, I was having our third child. I was like nine months pregnant. In my brain, I was like, I cannot launch another company. I just sold the last one while having a child. Am I really going to do that? But it all goes back to you building, right? Just just, always building. It just, and it really was like this incredible partnership with my husband where it was just like, it, it lined up and it just happened. And then what also lined up, which was wild. So Penny Pritzker, my like, truly a mentor, a friend of mine. We bonded on many, many, many personal life things that have happened. She's told her brothers too. And she was U.S. Secretary of Commerce and her and President Obama had asked me to be an entrepreneur ambassador for the country. And so I did that. It was like a totally cool made up thing that they came up with, but I got to like travel with the White House. But I met her and just admired her and anything she's done, she has done to the highest, highest level of precision. She's now the chair of all of Harvard. She's the senior fellow and first female ever in the history of the, she runs Harvard. And your business partner. And my business partner. She's also on the board of Microsoft and many, many, many other amazing things. An active advisor to Biden and uh, his technology team and economics team. So she just, and she's married and has great kids and a fabulous marriage and is a normal person. And so I called her and said, here's what I'm going to go do. And by the end of it, she literally was like, I'm doing it with you. Oh and I was God. like, what a dream. What? But I was like, what? Yeah. That's the goal was to call you to get your advice and to think about what I'm missing. And then literally my best friend, uh, Lucy DeLand, she's a co-founder of Paperless Post. She was Harvard undergrad and then Insight Venture Partners. And she just 
literally had, in her own life had started her next transition of what she wanted to. And it just came together so authentically that we were like, there's no way we could have planned this. Right. And so I'm building Inspired with people who built 10 businesses and are wildly passionate about this. And so it just all came together and the words came out of my mouth and I was like, it's Inspired Capital. And I was like, oh my God, is that name taken? And it wasn't, which is absurd. And so we grabbed it and like, and then the train left the station. There yeah. was no turning around. There was no coming back. We've now raised almost $600 million and our companies are valued at almost seven and a half billion dollars. And like, we're just building some some companies that I think are really, really exciting. And we have a heck of a lot of work ahead of us. So you're building companies and you're building your family. And I will also say one thing that I always love hearing is how you and Cliff work together as well. Because I think that's the other part of this equation for so many of us is having that partner who's along for the ride as well, you know, and loves you, but also loves your kids. But also in many ways is probably watching you just like, there she goes. There goes Alexa, just being Alexa. And that's always, to me, I feel like every time I see Cliff, he's always just looking at you with such admiration. And I just, he I is. love that you guys have that. I love that that's an aspiration that you, you yeah. even pointed out with Penny, like great kids, great career, solid marriage. I think that's yeah. really a dream life, Alexa, what yeah. you've created. I'm wildly loyal to people um, that I love and like truly probably crazily loyal. First of all, he is my most important advisor. He is I he's somebody I look up to um, and have for a long time now. And he's just so, so, so bright. And we are so different. <laughs> I move at like a million miles a minute. The other day I asked him to rush and I was like, literally the man doesn't know how to rush. We have the same <laughs> dynamic in our marriage. Chris always looks at me and he's like, you're, you're just an exhausted. Like, why are you running around so quickly? Life can be enjoyed at a different pace, but I understand that energy. And I do think that there's a lovely counterbalance to that too. I always say, if I married myself, I would be miserable. On Mars. On Mars. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, you'd just be on Mars. Absolutely. You'd on like, Mars. <laughs> how'd I end up alone on Mars? We're just a team and we have fun and we like laugh every day and we get to giggle at it all. And he's so protective of me and I'm just, I feel so lucky. And we also just truly have fun. We're like, life is really short. Like, let's just have fun on this adventure. And then there's some days that are like, oh my God, we have three kids. And he also runs a big venture fund and I run a fund and we're like, how are we making this all work? And we're like, Cool. I'll catch this, you catch this. and But it goes back to that passion thing. Yeah, that yeah. I really do think that if you have found something at any point in your life, that's something you love, that you don't really ever get tired of doing it. You may get physically tired of doing it, but there's a part in your brain that's always thinking about what you can do to find the next thing or push to the next thing or develop the next thing in many ways. I want to ask a question that I would think my sister who has a startup would kill me if I didn't ask you on behalf of anyone who has a company that they're looking to get funded. What does a company like Inspired Capital look for in a founder? It's a great question. We look for a few specific things. The first is the person. And there's lots of science behind this and like what makes a founder, what makes an entrepreneur already born one. And the answer is, all founders can look very differently. But I also have a podcast, as you know. Yeah. It's Inc.'s podcast called The Founders Project with Alexa. And we're going into season five. And we've I've interviewed 180 best founders in the world. So multi, multi-billion dollar companies, you name it, we've had them from the Klarna's of the world, the 23 in the world, the Robin Hoods of the world, Sweet Greens, you name it, like every single major big company. And there is a... In a commitment from the founder, the CEO, that is 
they see the future so clearly and they know precisely where they want to take it and where they want to go. And it is making the world better. There is something materially, materially changing for society and how they're thinking. And they have all of the skill sets to figure out how to get there, which means either they have, they're visionary and they're great communicators and they have the power of woo because they got to get hundreds of people to follow them into this new vision. They are smart enough to listen to other people. They are smart enough to know that they've done wild amounts of work and still need to listen to people around them. And they've showed in their life that they have that grit and that resilience because, I mean, literally, Lydia, being a, a CEO, it's so sad that it got glamorized because it's the only job in life that rewards you with greater complexity it rewards you with more pain. I literally had a moment walking by myself being like, my job every hour of every day is solving really genuinely hard problems that no one else can solve. That is exhausting. I was like, I used to love the product and the customer. And now I'm just like HR issues and finance issues and business partnership issues all day. So they have to want to do it in a way that is so deep. So that's the human. That's like- That's the beginning. 70% of the equation. Yeah. And then the final 30% of the equation is we avoid incremental swings where you're only making the world a little bit better. Mm -hmm. We're looking for like a step change investment where you're doing something to dramatically improve carbon, you know, on the planet or self-driving cars or, you know, we back this company in Latin America called Hobby, which helps people sell their homes in 30 days, which literally doesn't exist right now. People sell their homes in 12 months. Like that is a wild step change improvement. As I said, self-driving lawnmowers like for (laughs) big, because the number one, literally on the planet, the number one crop is grass. Yeah. And it it grows every week. Yeah. It's got to get cut. Machines that pollute aren't good for the planet. And and so big, big, big step change ideas. Um, And then finally, we look for just in that business models, that can actually make money. So as they get bigger, the business model gets better. And that means that there's often some sort of moat, a competitive moat, a technical moat, a data moat, something that as they get better, they actually control the business more. They get better pricing power. So though, you know, it's not that hard. And then we're a generalist fund. We look at everything, truly everything. So like wild ideas, you know, we once looked at a company, really interesting one that, the punchline is we look at such different ideas all over the map. There's no one category. So I always tell people, bring us everything. Yeah, try anything. Swing big. You always say that, and I love that because it's such a visual. Swing big. In life, too. Well, Alexa, I cannot thank you enough for your time. I know you are the busiest woman on the planet. So. As are you. As are you. We, we see each other at drop-off. <laughs> we see each other at drop-off. But I do appreciate your time. I love learning from you always. I love hearing about your confidence journey. And I hope that everyone tuning in today will feel like they got a confidence boost just from listening to the myriad of things that you're bringing into this world and where you're headed next. A huge shout out to Joe at Newsstand Studios who's standing right behind us making all of this happen. I'm broadcasting from Newsstand Studio in Rockefeller Plaza, which is a place that I've worked for over 20 years in New York City. There's a glass front, so please feel free to swing by and say hi at any point. I'll be posting when we're recording on Instagram moving forward. Thanks again to Rockefeller Center. Thanks to Newsstand Studio. But most of all, thanks to Alexa Von Tobel no, for being you, a wonderful woman and such a great inspiration to me and to everyone out there. No, thanks for educating so many people. I'm so proud. And I want to leave you with this one thought. 
We touched upon imposter syndrome. Do you know that the only way you can get rid of imposter syndrome is by believing in yourself? Well, that's the challenge I have for you before you join me again next week. Walk into every room, hold your head high, and believe that you're supposed to be there. Get out there and claim your confidence, and I'll see you next week.